Welcome to the Harvest Bible Chapel of Winston-Salem podcast. We believe in proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, lifting high the name of Jesus through worship, believing firmly in the power of prayer, and sharing the good news of Jesus with boldness. For more information, visit harvestws.org. Here's this week's message. Well, man, let me say uh, just, I said this two weeks ago, uh, how privileged we consider ourselves uh, to be at this place to serve you all, uh, to serve Jesus Christ, to serve this city, uh, to serve this state, to serve this nation and this world, and uh, that we get to be here to do it. It has been uh, an awesome journey of faith for our family, and uh, it has been a blessing already uh, to call this place our home. And, uh, and so we're very, very excited for this opportunity that God has placed in front of not just myself, but our family, and uh, so excited to work uh, with the elders here and with the staff here. And I know you know this, but I want to say it. You have an absolutely awesome group of elders and an amazing group of staff that are here at this church, and you need to consider yourself blessed because I know I do, and, uh, and so uh, just so excited about that, so excited uh, to be here. You know what else I'm excited about? There's no snow on the ground, <laughs> right? Yeah, so, so you ought to be all ready for church today, because you didn't get it last week, and um, let me say, I said this on video, if you watched the video that, uh, that we did last week, and I uh, was going to share a lot of things with you last week as, what, as far as what I believe that uh, the word that God has given myself and the elders as we approach 2017. And the theme of this year is the God who builds. You believe that God wants to build this church? I do. And I know our elders do. And uh, I believe that God wants to build this church. And God has done amazing things over the last 12 years in this church and because we serve a God that never changes, that means that we can count on him to continue to do that. And so I'm excited about what God's going to do in this year of 2017, and that is the theme of this year. And I shared this on the video and really asking you to pray along with me and with our elders that God would build our faith. And I've never prayed that and God not answered that. Sometimes that's a scary prayer. God, build my faith. But I want us to pray that this year, that God would build our faith as we pursue him as our greatest treasure. Secondly, that God would build upon the culture of this church, that we would not only know our mission statement by word to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission, but that mission is our mission, is my mission, is my family's mission, that we know it and we know why, that God would build this church through people coming to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, by people that don't have a church home coming and making this their church home, and then that God would build our church's influence, that we would be known as a church in Winston-Salem that is about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would be known as a church that is about spreading the gospel not only in our city, but also in our state and in our nation and in our world through church planting. And so I'm excited about what God is going to do, if you haven't noticed that already. And so I believe that this is 2017, that we are going to see and serve the God who builds. So I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6, 
or I'm sorry, Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. And we have the opportunity, uh, starting off this morning, to kick off this three-week series that honestly, as we get into it, is going to go against the grain of our Western culture. It's going to go against the grain of that. And sadly, it's probably going to go against the grain of the majority of the church, Western church culture. So not just the culture of our society, but sadly against the culture of most Western uh, churches that we have in our nation uh, today. Because a lot of what is going on in our culture, not just in society, but even in, in really in our church, goes against what God has called us to do. I want to introduce to you an individual, and his name is Francis Schaeffer. He was a Christian philosopher. He was famous for having started a commune for wayward and wandering Christians in 1955, and really was one of the greatest thinkers of the day. And uh, he passed away in 1984. And what I find interesting is, is what he says, and I'm going to give you this quote. How many of you ever heard of Francis Schaeffer? Raise your hand. Okay, so quite a few of you. Here's what I think is so interesting that he says as we kick off this series. He says this, tell me what the world is saying today, and I will tell you what the world will be, or what the church will be saying in seven years. So tell me what the world or society is saying today, and I'll tell you what the church will be saying seven years later. You know what our culture of our day is? It's this idea. It's all about me, right? I mean, that's, that's prevalent everywhere you look, right? It's all about me. It's this humanistic philosophy that it's all about me. I'm my God. It's all about me. It's man-centered, my needs. But sadly, you think about it, that has crept its way into the church. Where even in the church, if we're really honest with ourselves, we would view the church in really saying, it's all about me. What is the church going to do for me? How is it going to care for my kids? Am I going to like the music? Am I going to be bored in the message? All the different things. Does it have the facility that I want? Whatever it is, does it have the, the, a good coffee in the church? And, and all of that really drives home this reality that in our society it's all about me, but unfortunately in our church culture, we see that creeping in, where it's all about me. But we know when we look at God's word that the church isn't about me. That when you came to church today, that God wasn't concerned about checking all the boxes that you may have today that you're hoping that God will do for you. We're not here for me. We're here for God. Look at the person next to you and say, I'm here for God. That's why we're here. We're here for him. We're here for God. We are a vertical church and Jesus is the foundation. I was here when I was here back in September. You all were going through the four pillars of this church. We know those four pillars that, that we're about unapologetic preaching. We're about unashamed adoration or worship. We're about unceasing prayer. We're about unafraid witness. Those are our four pillars. So if we are here for God, 
If what we've just done in this service in singing to God, if that has been directed to him, that when we gather together, we gather for one purpose, and that is to praise the name of Jesus Christ. We are here for him. Then what does God want us to do? Like if we're here for him, if we gather for him, if we are called to live for him, then what has he called us to do? So here's what I want to do for the next three weeks. We're going to look at that idea. This sermon series is entitled, This is What We Do. What are we called to do? So this message isn't going to be necessarily as much as uh, how are we going to deal with this certain situation at my job and, and provision or whatever it is. It's not so much about how am I going to get this certain thing from God's word that's going to help me get further in my job or whatever it is. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but God called this church Harvest Bible Chapel, Winston-Salem, to do, to do. So I want to pray, and then we're going to get into God's Word. Would you pray with me as I pray out loud? God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the privilege, as we prayed already, to be able to be here, to be able to, along with other people, to lead this church. God, I thank you for that privilege, that opportunity, that responsibility. And Lord, as I stand up here this morning, Lord, just reminded that without you, I can do nothing. And so Lord, as we dive into your word today and in these next few weeks to look at what you have called this church to do, Lord, may we look at our own lives and say, Lord, is that my posture? Is that how I'm living my life? Am I embracing what you've called me to do? What you've called my family to do? What you've called me as a husband or a wife to do with those that I rub shoulders with on a daily basis? And God, we pray that you would allow our hearts to be ready to receive what you have from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the overall idea I want you to get today. As we look at this series, this is what we do. Here's what we do. We welcome without judgment. We welcome without judgment. And what I want you to know, what my desire is, and honestly, what more importantly, Christ's desire is for this place is that we would be a place that no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter where you've been, no matter what you look like, no matter what your darkest secret is, no matter what, that we as a church will be about welcoming others without judgment. And when I say that, here's what I know. Your mind is going to all different types of scenarios, right? You're going all down these, these side roads of, well, what does that mean in practical terms. So we probably need to define our terms, right? Here's how we define welcome. It's receiving appreciatively the presence of another and communicating that to them. That's what we mean by welcoming. Receiving appreciatively the presence of another and communicating that to them. I mean, that's what we want. We want people to come into these doors 
re- receiving appreciatively that they're welcome, that, they're, that, that we desire them to be here to worship, that we want to be a church who welcomes. But then there's that phrase, judgment. Right? Because we want to be a church that welcomes without judgment. Here's how we define judgment. It's a negative assessment of another person based upon a superficial sense of superiority. Let me read that again. A negative assessment of another person based upon a superficial sense of superiority. Think about this. I can't welcome, according to that definition, and judge at the same time. Can't do it. I'm either welcoming or I'm judging. I can't do both at the same time. And here's what I know. Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 says that that we need to believe that God will do immeasurably more than we can ask or think. Both in the church, both now and forever, to God's glory. That's what I know it says in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. And what I know is that if we are a church that welcomes without judgment and says, this is what we do, that we're going to see that come to fruition this year. That we're going to see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or think because we're a church that understands. One of the things that we do, we welcome without judgment. So you're in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50, and one of the things you need to understand is when you jump into a narrative, it's probably, or it's not probably, it's important that you look at the context. So you're in Luke 7, verses 36 through 50. I want you to maybe flip over a page back and look at Luke 6, 37. Because in Luke 6, 37, Jesus says this, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. Now, this is the phrase that ought to scare you, because it scares me. For with the measure you use it, it will be measured back to you. Jesus says, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and it will be forgiven you. And with the measure that you do that, it will be given back to you. So Jesus makes this statement in Luke 6, 37, that is going to flesh its way out in the story that we're going to read. So here's what I want to do as we go through this passage of Scripture. As we look at this idea, we welcome without judgment. Is I want to give you three things to remember as we welcome without judgment. Here's the first one. Jesus welcomes all who come to him. Jesus welcomes everyone who comes to him. Look at verse 36. Let's get into this passage of Scripture. It says in verse 36, And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And when he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at his table, let me stop right there. So if you know anything about the New Testament, here's what you are aware of. The Pharisees did not like Jesus. They actually opposed Jesus. If we want to put it in these terms, the Pharisees saw Jesus as their arch nemesis. And Jesus was pretty strong with the Pharisees. I mean, in Matthew 23, we don't have time to turn there, but in Matthew 23, seven times Jesus says to the Pharisees this phrase, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. 
In fact, in Matthew 23, Jesus actually calls the Pharisees unwashed or whitewashed tombs. In other words, you look real pretty on the outside, but inside everything's dead. It's a pretty harsh statement. Don't advise you to say that to someone today. Pretty harsh statement. But this is the relationship that the Pharisees had with Jesus, and Jesus was constantly uh, speaking truth to them and condemning them for their actions. And so I say that to give you a context of where we are here, because this is what the word woe actually means. Like when Jesus says woe, it's not like you when you're like, woe. This is what he means by woe. The calamity has fallen or is about to fall. Like to put it in our day, the hammer is about to fall. That's what the term woe means. And what I find interesting is that in Matthew 23, Jesus is sitting here saying, woe to the Pharisees. He mentions it seven times, but then we come to this passage of scripture, and the, one of the people that he's saying this harsh word to now is saying to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to come over to my house. I want you to eat with me. The Pharisee doesn't say, hey, I want to go to Starbucks for coffee. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you go to lunch with me? You know what the Pharisee does? He invites Jesus into his inner sanctum. Like even today, when I invite you over to my house, it's much different than I say, hey, let's get together for coffee. When you invite someone over to your house, what are you doing? You're giving them a personal invitation to have inner access to your life, right? Some of you are like, that's why I don't invite people to my home. (laughs) So it was the same idea. So in spite of the Pharisees having this relationship with Jesus, despite Jesus chastising them for their actions, this Pharisee actually says to Jesus, Jesus, I want you to eat with me. I want you to come into my home. I want you to recline at my table. Now let's go to verse 37. It says in verse 37, Behold, a woman of the city, so let's just stop there. That's not a good term. Right? Okay, it's from Winston-Salem. Understand. So it's not like, oh, that woman's from Winston-Salem. It's not the idea. It's a negative term. It's the idea of a prostitute. It's a woman of the streets. So this woman of the city who was a sinner, like obvious statement, right? When she learned that she that that Jesus, he was declining at the table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. Now look at that passage closely. I don't see anywhere in that passage of scripture where this woman was invited by the Pharisee to come to his house. Do you see it? I don't see it. This woman wasn't invited to the Pharisee's house, but here's what I find interesting is that this woman understood her need for Jesus so much that she didn't care about the cultural norms. She didn't care about the judgment that she knew she would receive if she walked into this Pharisee's house. All she was concerned about is, I know Jesus is there. I know I need him. I'm going to that place. Now, what do you think Jesus' response is? It's the same as the Pharisee. He doesn't cast her out. Jesus welcomes all who come to him. He did that with the Pharisee. The self-righteous person who thought he was better than everyone else. The person that Jesus constantly was rebuking for their posture and their attitude. He welcomes him 
without judgment. All who come to him. And he does the same thing with a woman who has one of the worst reputations you can possibly have. A Pharisee and a prostitute. And this is what we're called to do as a church. This is what God has called us to do as a church. That anyone who desires to want to know more about Jesus that walks through these doors that we say, I don't care if they look wrong. I don't care if they have a wrong story. I don't care if they have the wrong stuff, the, what society may say, the wrong background. I don't care if they even walk in here wondering, am I right for here? We welcome without judgment because Jesus welcomes all who come to him. I mean, think about this. That when I encounter someone, regardless of their past, regardless of what they've done, I need to remind myself that I have more in common with that person than what separates me from them. Because I had a need for Jesus. I have a need for Jesus. It's never compromised. And what I find interesting in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus never compromises the truth. I don't want you to walk out of here today and see, believing that welcoming without judgment means we compromise the truth of God's word. But Jesus gives us the perfect example because Jesus not only shows, I love the truth, he is the truth. But in the midst of that, he says, I love the truth, but here's what I also do. I also love the people. And when I would do one without the other, it voids them both. If I'm someone here who says, man, I love the truth so much, but I find myself loving the truth so much that I don't love the people, then you're really not loving the truth. And if I find myself to be so accepting and tolerant and, and inclusive of everything and everyone and everybody's lifestyle, and what you do doesn't matter and what I do doesn't matter, and I'm all about loving the people without loving the truth, then I've discounted the both because I'm not loving the people because I have a message straight from God Almighty that has changed my heart if I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. So if I'm going to love the truth, then I have to love the people and to do one without the other voids both. And Jesus gives us the perfect example. I remember Lori and I, when we were in Pennsylvania, so this is a while ago, over 10 years ago, Lori was working at a company and was in the marketing department. And there was this individual, and his name was Brett. And Brett was, was actively involved in the gay lifestyle. And he was living that. He wasn't, he wasn't hiding that at all. And we built a relationship with Brett. And I remember one of the things that, honestly, I didn't even realize how big of an impact it would have. But we actually at lunchtime said, hey, Brett, why don't you come over to our house? And let's just get to know one another. Let's talk. Let's, let's just eat. And so he came out of our house and we chatted and everything. He knew I was a pastor. He knew what I believed, that that, that that lifestyle was sin. But here's the reality. I saw the importance and was convicted that I need to love Brett like Jesus loves Brett. And so when he left, he didn't, in that moment, he didn't fall on his knees and trust Jesus Christ as his Savior. But you know what? He walked away, and I remember him telling my wife who worked with him how blown away he was that we would even do that. 
Now, I'm not telling that story so you can make much of me because there's been plenty of times that I've missed it and not taken that opportunity. But I look at this story and I ask myself, am I welcoming without judgment to every person that I come in contact with? Welcoming all sovereignly puts in front of my path. Am I like Jesus and I'm welcoming all who want to come to him? Because I don't believe in calling someone by their sin. I don't believe labeling someone by their sin. I don't see Jesus do that. I mean, if we did that, then guess what? We get to walk around saying, hey, nice to meet you. My name's Johnny Pereira. I, hello, I am an arrogant. Or I'm prideful. Or you walk around and saying, hi, I'm lustful. Or I'm an angry person. I mean, we could go on and on and on. When Jesus looks at me, if I place my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, believe that he lived a perfect life for me in place of my imperfect life, died on the cross for my sin, rose again three days later, hear this, when God sees me, he sees me through Jesus' perfect life, perfect death, perfect resurrection. He doesn't label me by my sin. My label is a child of God. I'm not labeled by my sin. I don't see Jesus do that with the Pharisee, and I don't see Jesus do that with the prostitute. Does he give the truth? Yes, he does. But he also loves the people. You've heard this phrase before, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Because we all come to Jesus the same way. I mean, Isaiah 53, 6, right, says this, all we like sheep, all have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. And the Lord has laid upon him, Jesus, the iniquity of us. Do you know that last word? Say it with me. The iniquity of who? All. Us all. You and me. That's why we welcome without judgment. We see Jesus welcomes all who come to him. Here's the second thing we need to remember as we welcome without judgment. Here's the second thing. It's found in verses 38 and 39. Religious hypocrites only offer selective Welcome without judgment. It's the religious hypocrites who only offer selective welcome without judgment. Jesus welcomes all who come to him. It's the hypocrites who only offer selective judgment. Look at verse 38. Let's continue to walk through this passage. Verse 38, and standing behind him at his feet, this woman who, who understands how sinful she is, nobody needs to tell her that. She knows what she's done. She knows the sins that she's committed. She knows her reputation. She can't even stand in front of Jesus. She's so ashamed. And she stands behind him at his feet and she's weeping, she's sobbing, and she begins to wet his feet, it says, with her tears. And he shows up of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with ointment. This lady shows up with this alabaster, this stone jar with some ointment, something very costly, probably everything that she had had. Everything that she had earned from a sinful lifestyle is right there. And she pours it on Jesus' feet. Now here's what's interesting in the culture. Some of you may know this. It was the job of the host or hostess to wash the person's, the guest's feet. So this woman does something that actually was the Pharisee's responsibility. 
But this woman does it instead. And she's sobbing and she's washing her feet with, his, with her hair and she's kissing her feet. Now think about this. Think about who she was. Think about who she was. Think about what she's done. Think about the actions that she's done. And Jesus does it as she's at his feet and she's anointing them and she's washing them with her, with her tears. He doesn't kick her away. He doesn't do that in this passage of Scripture. Now look at the Pharisee, verse 39. It says, now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, what did he do? I mean, you got to put yourself in this scenario. Like when you're reading God's Word, put yourself in the story. I mean, this woman threw off every bit of the Pharisee's plan. Like when you invite someone over, and I'm not just going to say ladies, because some of you guys cook and the ladies don't. So guy, guy, or, guy or gal, when you invite someone over to your house, you have a plan, right? We're going to eat this. We're going to drink this. We're going to have the table set this way. We may play a game. We may talk about this. You may even say to your spouse, okay, if the conversation hits a lull and it gets really awkward, we're going to bring up these questions, right? Some of you are like, I've never thought of that. That's why you do when you're a pastor. So think about it. The Pharisee has this plan. This is how it's going to work. I'm going to invite Jesus over to my house. He's going to eat with me. We'll even accept the invitation. Jesus does. Why? Because he welcomes all who come to him. And this Pharisee had this plan of how this was all going to work out. And this woman throws everything off. I mean, I promise you that as the Pharisee thought this out in his mind, he's sitting over there and he's just thinking. I can just imagine this in this setting, that he's over here thinking and he's watching this go on and he's saying, this was not a part of the plan. A prostitute washing Jesus' feet, sobbing all over them, her even being in my house, this isn't part of my plan. I mean, he's totally dumbfounded. And it says in verse 39 that he would just now look at it. He said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this was who was touching him. For she is a, what? Say it with me. Sinner. Now, this statement's wrong on a lot of points. But here's probably the place where it's wrong to the greatest degree is his assessment of himself. Because he doesn't say, I'm a sinner. See, the, the biggest mistake I see in verse 39 is see him seeing himself so much greater than the other person. Because here's the, here's the right response, the first response, the fast response. He should have said, I see this woman, and yes, she's a sinner, but hey, I'm no better. I'm no better. See, religious hypocrites offer selective welcome without judgment. Jesus welcomes all who come to him. That would have been the proper response. I mean, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you have not received? Like, look at your own life. And if God has blessed you and God has been good to you, you don't have that because of you. Don't fall into this culture that it's all about me. You don't have that because of you. Paul says, why do you boast as though you've received it? Don't have this high-minded mentality that you're so much better than someone else that somehow you had everything to do with what you have. 
All of us are fallen. That's you, that's me. All of us are in need of God's grace. That's you, that's me. All of us, amen, have found forgiveness in Jesus Christ if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Now, I'm not remiss to think that there might be some in this audience, and even if you ask this question, it's a good question. Some will say, well, I get you, but I've never done this or that sin, whatever it is. You may be even having scenarios in your mind of that person maybe that you have not welcomed without judgment, and you're saying to yourself, yeah, but you don't know what he or she has done. And listen, all sin is not the same in the sense of it being more perverse than maybe another sinner. All sin is not the same when it comes to consequences. There's greater consequences for some sin than others. But get this, all sin is the same in the sense that if it's not brought under the finished work of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection, every sin is enough. To separate us from God Almighty and send us to hell. All offering So all sin in that sense is the same. And if we're offering selective welcome without judgment, we've forgotten that this is our reality. And we're just like the Pharisee. We're operating our lives with this hypocrisy that somehow it's okay to offer selective welcome without judgment when Jesus did none of the sort with us. Here's the third thing I want you to remember. It's found in verses 40 through 43. Forgiven sinners are broken over their need for Christ's welcome. See, Jesus welcomes all who come to him. Religious hypocrites are only selective and they're welcoming without judgment. Here's the third thing. Forgiven sinners are broken over their need for Christ's welcome. Look at verses 40 through 43. It says, and Jesus answering him, so he's answering the Pharisee who just called this woman a sinner. Shocker! He didn't say anything that, wasn't, that everybody didn't know. Jesus answering said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he, the Pharisee, says, say it, teacher. Like, I can't wait. Like, he's going to validate what I've just declared. Verse 41, he gives this illustration. A certain moneylender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii, which was about two years of wages, and the other 50, which was about two months. And verse 42, and when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them, he asked in this scenario, which of them will love him more? Which of the people will love the moneylender more? So Simon answers, Simon's an intelligent individual, the one, I suppose, for whom you've canceled the larger debt. And he, Jesus, said to him, you have judged rightly. We got one debt that was impossible to pay. Got another debt that was really hard to pay. And Simon gives the obvious answer. Well, obviously, it's the person who's been forgiven more. See, here's what I see for a sinner. Jesus knows that Simon sees her. He just called her a sinner. But he also knows that Simon doesn't see her the way that Jesus does. It makes me ask myself, how often am I seeing people the way that Jesus sees them? How often am I seeing that person that is constantly talking about me things that are untrue and I know they don't know Jesus as their Savior? How often am I seeing that person the way that Jesus sees them? 
How often am I looking at my spouse who doesn't know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and instead of counting all the ways that they're wronging me, how often am I looking at that person and saying, man, I want to see that person. God, help me to see that person the way that you see them. See, that was the issue here. Is Jesus saw this woman in a completely different way than Simon saw her. And look at what it says in verses 44 through 47. He says this, Then turning toward the woman, so he looks to the woman, and he says to Simon, Do you see this woman? Do you see her, Simon? Do you see her the way that I see her? I entered your house, and you gave me no water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, which was a custom. That frankly, I'm kind of glad we don't have today. Like you kiss either side of the cheek, at least in the U.S. But from the time I came in, she's not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she's anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, look at this, he doesn't compromise the truth, which are many, we all know that, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little, loves little. Here's the point. Is that my sense of how much I've been forgiven is the thermostat on the heat of my judgment towards others. See, when I'm not thinking about how much I've forgiven, then man, I can crank up the thermostat on the heat that I'm going to give towards others who are wronging me or who aren't like me or who have done this or that. I mean, that thermostat gets cranked up. But when I'm constantly reminding myself of who I am apart from Jesus Christ, then all of a sudden that thermostat goes way down. That heat goes way down. Because I'm reminding myself, you know what? I've been forgiven much. You've been forgiven much. Do, if you get one thing out of this message, get this. Write this down. Every person is either the Pharisee who thinks they are better than Jesus or the sinful woman who knows that they need his forgiveness. Every person, you and me, is either the Pharisee who thinks they are better than Jesus. You say, oh, I, I would never say that. I know I'm not better than Jesus. Are you welcoming all who want to come to him? Do I think that I'm better than Jesus or, or am I the sinful woman who knows that I need his forgiveness? Now, some of you are saying, well, doesn't the Bible talk about us making some judgment calls? In Matthew 7, 20 says, by their fruits, you will know them. Matthew 7, 6 says, do not cast your pearls before swine. So, there are scriptures that talk about understanding and looking and seeing who is living right and who's not living right. So let me give you these four things about what not judging means. Can I do that quickly? Don't judge, number one, means never judge broadly. Don't judge broadly. I mean, Luke 6, 42, right, gives this, Jesus gives this scenario, hey, don't be worried about the, 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 the little speck in someone else's eye when you've got this massive log in your own eye. Deal with that first. 
Don't judge broadly. Don't draw preconceived conclusions on matters that you don't know everything about. Don't judge broadly. Here's the second thing. Never judge motives. Never say, oh, I know why she did that. Oh, I know why he blank. I know why they, 1 Samuel 16, 7 says, for the Lord sees not as man sees Because man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Look at this. When I say, I know, I know why, I'm ascribing to myself a characteristic that only belongs to the Lord. I mean, that's God's territory. Only God knows why she's like that. Only God knows why he's struggling. Only God knows why that's so hard for them. Never judge motives. Here's the third thing. Never judge quickly. 1 Corinthians 4, 5 says, Therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things that are now hidden in the darkness. God's going to bring it to light. Never judge quickly. Tells, I don't know the fa-. Say to yourselves, I know what? I don't know everything. I don't know the details. I don't know the facts yet. When you look at something, you're like, what on earth are they doing? Say, I don't know why they're doing that. I don't have all the facts. Never judge quickly. Here's the fourth thing. Never judge harshly. You never see Jesus, when he does give the truth, do it in a harsh way. Unless it's with people that are conducting themselves with a self-righteous attitude. Never judge harshly. James 2.13 says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That ought to scare you because it scares me. As we close this morning, I want to ask you this question. As we walk through this passage of scripture, we're going to read verses 48 through 50 here in just a moment. But here's the question I want to ask ourselves. Are we like Jesus, welcoming without judgment all who come to our church? Now, I've only been here for a few weeks, and one of the things that I can say is I have felt a friendly, welcoming atmosphere in this church, and I applaud you for that. And from what I've heard, the history of this church is that way. But I don't know about you, but I constantly need to be reminded of truth so that I will conduct myself the way that God wants me to. And are we welcoming all all who come without judgment to our church. Because what does Jesus say in verse 38? He says to the woman, woman, your sins are forgiven. Think about what she's done. Think about the men that she's been with. Think about the things that she's said and done. Think about the shame that she's felt about it all. And Jesus Christ, in verse 48, if her sins were on a laptop, he'd hit delete. If they were written in the sky, he'd blow them away. If they were written on the sand, he sent a big wave to crash and wipe it away. Because that's who he is. And that's what he's done for you. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior, I want you to understand today that Jesus welcomes you. He welcomes you without judgment. It says in John 3 that he doesn't come to condemn because we're condemned already. Verse 49 and 50 says, Then those who were at the table with them began to say amongst themselves, others who were looking on, Who is this who even forgives sin? And he says to the woman, Your faith 
has made you, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. When we become arrogant, judgmental, act like a Pharisee, man, I can always trace it back that I've forgotten that I'm the sinful woman. I'm that person. Exclusive and it's apart from Jesus Christ. And what I love about the gospel is it's exclusive in its message, right? Jesus says in John 14, 6, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. It's exclusive. No one comes to the Father through me. But it's inclusive to who it's for. Because John 3, 16 says, whoever believes in him shall never perish but have everlasting life. So you got a person at your work who scoffs at your faith, man, who's always, who's always chastising you, and yet they also want to come and just chat with you and act like nothing's wrong. You know what you do? You welcome without judgment because this is what we do. you got that neighbor who's constantly talking about you in the neighborhood and treating you so wrong, and then they come and they act oblivious to what they're doing. You know what you do? You welcome them without judgment. Why? Because this is what we do because it's what Jesus did. You come into this church and you, you come and you're so focused on yourself and you're just here and you're saying, man, I need a word and you walk by everyone and you don't notice anyone. Man, say to yourself, wait a minute, I got to stop and realize that there's other people here who are walking in with the same hurts, with the same struggles, with the same things. There may be people who don't know about Jesus. So what am I going to do? I'm going to take the focus off of me and I'm going to focus on the we and I'm going to say, you know what? I need to welcome without judgment. Why? Because this is what we do. This is what we do. Thanks for listening to the Harvest Bible Chapel Winston-Salem podcast. For more information, visit harvestws.org.